Matt can't hear me. Mitch is going to the bathroom. It's just me here. I don't know if Matt will keep this part in or not. I'm just talking to the microphone. He keeps looking at me worried that I'm saying something of import. But no, it's just me here. Please hold. We are having technical difficulties. Welcome to Can't Let It Go, the show about the things that are stuck in our heads. My name is Matt. I use he, him pronouns. I'm AC. I use they, them pronouns. I am Mitch. I use he, him pronouns. Wow. This is AC and I's friend Mitch, who we have talked about on the show at least twice that I can think of. A podcast guest. I know I got a name check in the video essays episode, and so did my partner Allison, and that was a delight. (laughs) Wait, did we talk about Glassbox in the video essays episode? Oh, no, but I'm so delighted you brought up my my wealth of podcasting experience, which always involves Matt. (laughs) That's actually true. Mitch and I in college ran a terrible podcast. (laughs) That no one should listen to. R- R- ran is generous. <laughs> I mean, I, I mostly ran it, but we were on a we were on a podcast, and um, I don't think it's available on the internet, and I think that's a good thing. Good lord, I, I hope don't want to know what my two thousand eight opinions were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it is, I want Elon to buy it and drive it into the fucking ground. Well, you know what? He's really good at that. I hear so. Um, and then what? We did the Inglorious Bastards uh, thing. That you yeah, but that 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 was never for internet consumption. That was for my Comp Two summer course, where I I was tasked with doing some sort of multimedia essay over a piece of media. And it was the summer of 2011, and I was still only thinking about Inglorious Bastards. I mean, it's a good movie. I say that like I've ever come out of that phase. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we sat around my kitchen table with a couple of friends for about 30 minutes and talked about that movie. Yeah, listener, if you haven't figured it out yet, Mitch is our token straight friend. Hey, that's me. <laughs> check, check all the boxes. Yeah. yeah. Pride Month ended and we brought you a straight guy. Yeah. We brought a straight guy right on the podcast. We said, time for hetero pride again. Happy July 4th. Um, that's maybe a little too topical for when this is going to come out. <laughs> anyway, today uh, we've brought Mitch on the show because we are going to be talking about the Disney parks and, and Disney generally. Because um, one thing that I know about Mitch and I think most people that know Mitch know about Mitch is that he and his wife Allison are very into the Disney parks and they put together an incredible trip that AC and uh, my husband uh, went on right at the end of 2019. I consider it kind of the last big thing that I did before COVID and we had a blast, you know, five adults chilling in Orlando, um, drinking a lot having a great I, time. I was still I'm gonna say the one of the first nights that we got there still one of like top five drunkest I've ever been in my life we were absolutely hammered eating hibachi and it ruled but first we have a relevant nugget today that I believe yeah. AC is gonna share with us yeah I got a good one here so I'm on blue sky now as was mentioned last episode and 
on Blue Sky, someone shared this piece just a few days ago that I immediately clicked open and read. It is um, titled My Favorite Conspiracy Theory Confirmed by Alex Goldman. Um, And in this piece, Alex Goldman details their favorite conspiracy theory, which is that the Donald Trump animatronic in the Hall of Presidents was originally a Hillary Clinton animatronic (laughs) and that they had to retrofit it to make it into Donald Trump. And um, I had never heard this before. I I am not, I think you'll hear me mention probably a few times throughout the episode, I'm not a Disney head by any means. I grew up in America. I know a lot about (laughs) Disney, okay? (laughs) But I, I simply... I think I blacked out when I read this and I came to and I remembered that I'd read it again. And it's incredible. I think um, Alex also went viral on Twitter and someone DM'd them and like confirmed this conspiracy theory. It's like a one random person sending them a message and they disclaim that in the piece. But um, yeah, Mitch, uh, you made a very excited face when I mentioned this. Do you believe this conspiracy theory? Mitch was fist pumping. I 100% believe this conspiracy theory, AC. I, I I first heard about this some weeks ago over social media. I have been to and watched the show at the Hall of Presidents since the Donald Trump animatronic has been unveiled. And I recently saw a... a rather detailed for TikTok's standards, TikTok, about this very theory. And what you're referring to is that um, the the user, the Twitter user Alex Goldman tweeted about this theory originally and then reportedly after this original tweet was deleted, an anonymous person claiming to be a Disney Imagineer, and boy, I'm going to use the word Imagineer a lot today, uh, slid per Gizmodo slid into his DMs, confirming said theory. And man, look up the photo if you haven't already. I bet you have. It's in the liner notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll put the link. Yeah. It's cooldudezone.substack.com. Look up a photo of the Donald Trump animatronic at the Hall of Presidents, and those are some prominent cheekbones, y'all. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that, like, one of the most damning pieces of evidence is just the facial structure at all, right? Like, you look at it, and it's like, that's not quite right. And, like, I know that, like, animatronics, they 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 don't always get it exactly right, but, like, the... <clears throat> redacted animatronic in Pirates of the Caribbean ride looks exactly like him, mm-hmm. right? Or at least like has the general vibe of like the, it it would be it would be doing the Imagineers a disservice to not expect them to get greater accuracy to a current sitting president with a very recognizable physical set of features as yeah, Donald they're Trump. They're very good at it. Um, and and I, I I have to continually point to specifically the cheekbones, yeah, um, which are very prominent the on Hillary eye shape, um, you know. Yeah, generally, it, it really it really really seems credible that they spent months developing a Hillary Clinton animatronic, and then I don't know around early November two thousand sixteen <laughs> felt felt the need to change course, but did not. 
for whatever reason, feel the freedom financially to start (laughs) from square one and rather just converted the work they had been doing. I 100% believe this. So two things. One, the thing that confirms it for me without this anonymous source is the photo of the updated one since they put Biden in it. <laughs> yes. Which is, it looks like him. It looks like Donald Trump. Like Correct. the one the, the the one that they have now put there looks like Donald Trump. So I also want to know where the hidden like Hillary Trump like, <laughs> animatronic went. Two, this is Alex Goldman, the host of the now defunct Reply All. I just want to oh like call God. that out. I did not figure that out. I did not put that together. <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Okay, worlds collide. I loved that podcast, R.I.P. Yeah. Um, I also, like, I think that this sentence in it is so funny, right? The attraction closed for six months after Joe Biden's inauguration, and when it reopened, eagle-eyed Disney fanatics noticed that the Trump animatronic appears to have been fixed to look less like a Donald Trump mask hastily stretched over Hillary Clinton's skull. (laughs) (laughs) I will say I, I, I last I last saw the Hall of Presidents show in November of uh, 2022, and we didn't sit that close, and I, I didn't really get a that close look at. It. I was mostly cowering in horror as all the presidents, in order of the presidencies, introduced themselves by name, and then as soon as President Trump introduced himself, oh, a no. good forty to fifty percent of the crowd whooped and hollered in, in in a way that was not happening for literally any other president uh and i just don't they claim to love lincoln so oh, so dear, dear listener i am also a licensed attorney and teacher of american history <laughs> <laughs> i was actually just about to ask mitch how many times have you seen the hall of presidents show uh relatively few to be honest ac i didn't is it might surprise you not have that much interest in it as a child um <laughs> And so I, I twice as an adult, I'd say. Okay. Um, okay. I most I mostly think of it as a great place for a nap. Oh my god! And air conditioning. We did a really funny like bit on our trip about um, that being my favorite, you know, attraction, um, because I had no interest in going in there at all. <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, it's what is it? The Carousel of Progress is the other creepy one. We did uh, that. One. Ooh, we did that one. Ooh, okay. Ooh. <laughs> all right. All right. So this is where we want to diverge because that holds a very special place in my heart. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I also learned in this piece by Alex Goldman that there used to be an Ellen DeGeneres ride. There what? So I I, I would like to talk right now about all three of the <laughs> things we've mentioned in the last twenty seconds. I want to talk about the the sort of connection of the Hall of Presidents and Carousel of Progress with Walt Disney himself. And I want to talk about Ellen DeGeneres. Go on. Which is a <laughs> sentence. Happy Pride, y'all. Uh, <laughs> I, I think we're getting into the main topic. So what I want okay, to say okay. to folks Get us back is, on that, track, Pat. is that normally we come into these episodes with like extensive notes. And I will say... I have no visibility at all into what Mitch is about to talk about. This is his show. So he's going to yeah. he's gonna take us down topics that he wants to go down, however prepared or not prepared he is. And I am thrilled. So I don't know. Mitch, let's get into it. Let's tell do it. About so, how Ellen DeGeneres I'd, and Carol Show. I'd, love, I'd love to tell you I had an outline Google Doc, but I, I've been I've been having useless, wonderful conversations with Matt and AC for years. And I'm, I am... counting on on that same rhythm finding hold so briefly i want to tell you about what that ellen degeneres business was because i've been on it once (laughs) wow before before it died um and i will tell you what it is now 
And then I want to talk about Walt and those attractions. Um, so there used to be an attraction at Epcot. It's not an original attraction. I don't know how long it was around. My guess is based on the personalities surrounding it, mid to late 90s is when it came around. That's my guess. Epcot opened in the uh, early 80s. Um, it was called Ellen's Energy Adventure. And huh. because the the original purpose of the park of Epcot was what the Imagineers called edutainment, education and entertainment. A lot of the attractions mm-hmm. were meant to have some sort of educational flair to them. This one was about energy and specifically the source of fossil fuels because we're all good little capitalists and we all, <laughs> we all need to learn where our wonderful hydrocarbons come from. Um, and so it was... Um, it was a moving ride. You sat in a very, very large car that was not on a track. Oh, here comes my dog into the room. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was not on a track, but it was on a car with wheels that went through a lar- large warehouse with tile floors. And you went in and around animatronic dinosaurs and you learned about the dinosaur period and how the and how dinosaur fossils are are ultimately our source of hydrocarbons. And it was hosted by Ellen DeGeneres and her sidekick, one Bill Nye. Uh, that Bill was Nye not an ex- thing I expected. <laughs> Bill, 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 Bill. Pause for effect. <laughs> Y'all, it was lame. It sounds like it. It was not good. Like, El- like it, you have like video sc- projection screens of Ellen like creeping in and around the bushes around the Brachiosaurus and making jokes about that era. And um, we went, it was in 2014. uh, Alice and I were on our honeymoon. um, In case you had any remaining questions about me. Um, (laughs) And we we were just trying to kill time in Epcot, truly. And so we're like, well, whatever, let's go on this. And yeah, that was that. That building now hosts the greatest roller coaster I've ever ridden in my life. Mm. Which is Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, which is new and I rode once in November and it rules. Hell yeah. This Ellen DeGeneres ride reminds me, what was that ride that we went on that was like us going through like people growing plants and food? AC, you loved it. You that were That was thrilled. my favorite one. I don't remember what that was called, but it, it sounds like that, but way more boring than that was. AC, you or me? You go ahead. Okay. You're referring to Living with the Land. This is another ride in Epcot, which is um, a, another gem of Walt Disney edutainment. It's it's a slow-moving boat ride, all indoors, where the first part of it is scenes of natural environments and how our human civilization interplays with natural uh, climate and natural resources to sustain our living. And then after you get through all that, you get to ride through active real life greenhouses that are growing all sorts of flowers and trees and fruits and vegetables. And, it's actually really sick. And, and, and farming, uh, sustainably farming fish, um, which are uh, many and almost all of these herbs and veg- veggies and fruits and fish are served in Walt Disney World restaurants. And yeah, it's super tight. Aside from being um, sponsored by some of the largest corporate brands in America, it was um, <laughs> otherwise my favorite ride. Um, but it re- it really rules. It was really 
I think, a very refreshing um, change of pace for me, a nerd. Um, I guess, like, you know, Mitch is a nerd in a different way. (laughs) But me, a nerd about plants, to be able to be like, wow, a ride just for me, (laughs) it feels like. I will say the one thing that I do not care for in living with the land is the prairie diorama. It's very triggering for me. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we also could have mentioned how living with the land is uh, very uh, much U.S. government propaganda also, but that's fine. Oh, yeah. There's a whole lot of like big agriculture propaganda in there without a doubt. Yeah. 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 Well, and and I think like it's worth noting. I I looked up the the Ellen DeGeneres ride as you were chatting about it. Right, that ride was sponsored by Exxon, right? <laughs> um, and like Living with the Land is sponsored by like Kraft and Chiquita Bananas, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, um, and I think Nestle also, right? Okay, so like on the one hand, Nestle is sponsoring Living with the Land, which is a really cool look at like how sustainable farming can work. And on the other hand, they're stealing water from your rivers and lakes, bottling it and selling it to you for a dollar. And, and it would otherwise be free. That continues the Disney Park's very proud tradition of partnering with, with corporations for uh, specifically for sponsoring attractions, um, Walt Disney was, as much as he was an idealist and, and a, a futurist and a dreamer, he was a stone cold capitalist. And as much as he, oh my God. as much as he hated money and, and trying to haggle for money and, and dealing with those, uh, with those struggles of the company, he had no shame about partnering with corporations mainly to use their money to get some of his stuff built. So, so much to the fact that I was going to make a joke and decided to look it up instead because it sounded like a thing that Disney company might do. And I oh, have no. found out that there used to be a ride that was presented by the Monsanto company. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It wasn't living with the land. No, because that was what I like. That was vaguely what I was like, thinking about thinking mm-hmm. I might remember, but mm-hmm. no, that was just a joke in my head. But the reality is that there was a ride called adventure through inner space that was brought to you by Monsanto. Incredible. Wow. Wow. The parody writes itself. Like, and that is, I think like a thing that's just generally true about Disney is that like, there isn't much like interesting or new to be said, right? And this is something that we often give a disclaimer about on this podcast. It's not that we have something any like particularly new or interesting to say about this. We're just here to talk shit, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, info dump at each other about the things that we can't stop thinking about. So um, also to enjoy things despite that, right? Like, yeah, I think I I have, I have a, Eventually, we're going to talk about like labor rights because I have to. Um, oh boy! Um, but you know, I still think that like it's it is okay to like properties owned right by these companies. It's okay to enjoy these things and also be cognizant and like make personal decisions where that's possible, right? Like, I I person I Matt cannot be responsible, right? for the actions of giant corporations. I can only do what's like within my control and and is appropriate for the situation. But you know what? I still fucking like Marvel movies, (laughs) you know? Uh, That said, speaking of Marvel movies, one thing I've personally decided to do is probably pirate, but generally now not watch secret invasion. Mm. Like I've watched every Marvel thing since the MCU kind of started and with the AI art and, I'll minor spoiler for the first episode. I was told there's fridging in the first episode. I was like, you know what? 
I don't need to watch this. This is a decision I'm making. But I don't know. I also enjoy Disney parks. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Mitch, where did we lose the thread with what you were trying to tell us about Ellen's <laughs> well, energy adventure? I, we, we we got on to talking about sort of the relationship specifically between Walt Disney and corporate America. And and I I thought that was a neat little moment to take it back to something we we mentioned earlier, which is some of the original, not original, but some of the earlier attractions at Disneyland in California, uh, where throughout the, the New York World's Fair in 1964, Walt got several corporations to spend their money paying for him to develop new attractions. And that's what got us the Carousel of Progress, which y'all deemed as There's creepy. I deemed as delightful. Big, beautiful tomorrow. There's a great big beautiful There's tomorrow. A great big beautiful tomorrow. <laughs> I'm gonna play the song here. <laughs> There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Tiger is very litigious. I would be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um I have a great deal of affection for the Carousel of Progress, but it was sponsored by General Electric. And and there's mm-hmm. no misunderstanding that when you go and watch it. And and every single scene of this delightful slice of, of 20th century Americana is all filled with what's the latest kitchen gadget technology right now? <laughs> um, that, that That's the through line of the entire show. Um, but uh, as a, as a, Disney sycophant, you also get to enjoy the history and the animatronics and just the um, the fact that you get to spend 20 minutes indoors sitting down in dark air conditioning. <laughs> I'm now remembering the modern day part that's like vaguely what, like 80s, 90s? Because uh, I assume it's been like updated. Yeah, my, my, my eternal curiosity with that final scene you're talking about, and man, this is getting in the weeds, uh, <laughs> is that I, I, I wonder in its initial iteration, was that final scene intended to be like, this is how things are tomorrow, as in like in the very, very near future. Because it's it's all right. technology that we see as generally early 1980s. Um, right. Or is this like one day, one day perhaps we'll have appliances that are voice automated and, and granny will be playing <laughs> video games. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 that's just a curiosity of mine. But th- that whole thing is just a big commercial for GE and GE paid for it. Um, mm-hmm. And Walt did that just so that he could get them to cover the cost of R&D for his next attraction. Uh, so is Carousel of Progress the one where I was convinced that the voiceover was done by Tom Hanks, but that it was not Tom Hanks? This checks out. <laughs> I, I feel great. like that's true. Every, every, every <laughs> scene involves this, this middle-aged mustachioed dad talking about his family and the recent technological developments in the home. And it's all it's all very cute and Norman Rockwelly. There are many oof moments for me, but I I don't disagree. <laughs> yeah, there's there, I agree on the cuteness yes. and the oof. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of correct lot of both. Correct. I mean, that, I think that's just actually like a good assessment of like a lot of our trip was meaning like wow, this is so cute and fun, and also oof, <laughs> <laughs> lots of like direct eye contact and raised eyebrows among our group, being like so interesting. Wow, we're walking away. <laughs> tell, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when you talk about those oof moments. Um, the very first thing that popped into my mind was actually something that we were doing at like the end of the trip, but like. 
so, some of the Epcot stuff, right? Like I immediately thought of like Mexico in Epcot is like, woof. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And like, I understand that at your like trying to like generalize about international countries at like a top level. But then when you like layer on like the xenophobia and stereotyping that is rampant in American society with that kind of like alongside that kind of generalization, just like and I think that that is like I think that's present not just in Epcot, but in anywhere. I mean, I think like Jungle Cruise is another really good example of that right like jungle cruise has a lot of like um, and i think like jungle cruise fans talk about that a lot right i don't think that there's any i don't think that that's like a big secret right but for sure those are like some of the ones that i remember but i mean generally of course like anything for me that has the vibe of like american exceptionalism or western expansion and like Yeehaw Pioneer Country is tough um, for a million reasons. And then also, like, that's the part that it's just like, why for me, like this trip that we went on was great and so fun and one of the best things I've ever done. And also was like probably the one time that I will be going to a Disney park because it's it's not for me at the end of the day. Right. I was there to hang out with my friends and see what it was all about. And I've seen it and I'm good. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me is that I didn't realize um, until the first time I went to a Disney park how much Magic Kingdom's like Magic Kingdom is themed around American exceptionalism, exceptionalism, right? Yeah. And I didn't realize that like I'd never heard the words like in in context of Disney like Main Street USA until I went there for the first time, right? And it's so funny because. Again, you're having a great time. There's so many awesome things you get to see. I get really emotional just like knowing I'm in a place that other like millions of other people have been, right? This happened to me when I was, you know, in Rome outside the Colosseum, you know, like in in mm. May on our vacation. Like but, you know, Disney and the and the parks have such like a cultural place in in our world and you know, especially in the US that, you know, being there often is like just a great time to know that I'm there. And then also I'm like that hallway in Disneyland Paris is dedicated to American inventions. Like that's a choice you made. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a strange feeling to have something that's so fun. Like, you know, so right, right next to something that feels like at least slightly off. It, It is. It is so difficult to separate any, sort of integral DNA of what makes a Disney park a Disney park from the, from the particular fascinations of Walt Disney. Yeah. I want to say as a disclaimer, my experience in person is entirely with Walt Disney world in Florida. I've not been to any other Disney park properties around the world and I hope to someday, but I haven't yet. Um, Disneyland in California was the first in 1955, but the Disneyland park in California is very similar to the magic kingdom park in Orlando with, with, you know, several notable exceptions, but they're, they're, they're comparable. And that mm-hmm. the main street USA area that Matt, you talked about along with the um, idea of the, uh, the jungle cruise in Adventureland and the the motifs and attractions related to westward expansion and manifest destiny in frontierland um those are those are those 
things in particular are related to Walt Disney's personal fascinations. The Mm -hmm. idea of Main Street related to his idea of the ideal small town that is sort of loosely based off his his claimed hometown of Marceline, Missouri. And he had such great um, affection for America and whatever that meant to him. American exceptionalism is a great way of putting mm-hmm. that. And Westward expansion in the American West, those were things that he was he was fixated on. He he was a particular lover of trains. And if there's a thing that more that, that better symbolizes American expansion for all of its complicating factors. True. I can't think of a thing that is more simple uh, symbolic than the locomotive, right? Um, so it's, it, it's very tricky because these are, these are things that, that Disney lovers like myself adore and have so much nostalgia, personal nostalgia. And, and I think Matt, what you mentioned about the idea of it being a thing that millions of people are visiting, that's a powerful feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, 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 these things can be enjoyed while still acknowledging what feels really, really uncomfortable about a lot of it. And uh, <laughs> the idea of, of these American ideas um, being absolutely forced upon the uh, other mm-hmm. cultures around the world as the Disney parks expands and can't be ignored. Yeah. Mitch, beforehand we were talking a little bit about Epcot and we both like held Epcot. back <laughs> because we didn't want to sort of, you know, like blow it ahead of time. But I want to hear about <laughs> your, I don't know. I just want to hear about Epcot and you know, a little bit of what we're talking about, but also just whatever you want to talk about. Man, I got a lot about Epcot. Um, Epcot is a place that I did not like when I was a kid. Uh, Hmm. And then, and then I learned about alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. It really does feel like Epcot is made for adults. So so Epcot, for those who are, who are rather unfamiliar. um, I recently listened to y'all's episode about video essays. (laughs) And, and, and and you cited a a YouTube uh, video essayist that goes under the username defunct land. And I watched one of those videos related to Walt's vision of Epcot. Walt Disney died before Epcot ever began construction. Mm-hmm. He, he he died when the very first Orlando Park was still under construction and quite a ways away from completion. What Walt really wanted to do in Florida was what he was calling Epcot, the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Oh, my God. It's an acronym? Yes. AC. You did not tell me any of this. <laughs> we were there. I didn't know. Matt, I'd like to just sit in this for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, actually, maybe there's a there's a non-zero chance that you told me, and then I drank so many beers <laughs> that I forgot. <laughs> we we uh, I have a video of you chugging a uh, mops. The the worst <laughs> beer. We were like a beer from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then we all hated it. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna let a beer go to waste because you know. While we were listening to Boys to Men play next door, that happened. Okay, listener, don't be confused. We mean the band Boys to Men was performing on a stage within our eyesight, <laughs> not as, that it was just playing. As we drank a beer produced and distributed by the band Hanson, named, <laughs> named after their signature hit song Mbop. Yes, it's called Mbops. All wow. three of us are from Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, Epcot is an acronym standing for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Walt had a dream to solve what he called the urban problem. As far as I can tell, there wasn't any direct racial animus in this idea. But it, 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 he, he, he was a 
person who was concerned with the practicality of urban planning and wanted to create some sort of urban system that that maximized the efficiency of ha- and happiness of all of its residents and, um, and and created a more walkable place to live and a more friendly and green place to live while still allowing for the commerce and um, transportation necessary in a highly capitalized area. In reality, this was entirely unsustainable and left so, 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 so many unanswered questions about what to do about about poverty, about crime, about racial and social inequality, about um, economic mobility. And as far as I can tell, his only solution was, we'll just expel any undesirables. Oh, I was going to say, it seems like my, the, my my observed solution from Walt Disney World is build a tunnel system underneath the park and build a tunnel system underneath every city. And then that's where the poor is going to well, live. The, the the tunnels under Epcot were for traffic, but that's not for that's not entirely. Yes, I I'm being silly. <laughs> he 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 died long before ground could ever be broken on this, and and people went bankrupt in the fifties for undermining Walt Disney. But I think we can safely say this was not a good idea. Um, but after his death, as they were developing and expanding Walt Disney World, they they did feel the Imagineers and and John Hench specifically, the lead Imagineer. Uh, felt the need to pay some some sort of homage to his memory mm-hmm. and to his desires to 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 turn Epcot into a place that would encourage uh, citizenship and learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Eb- Epcot, in its initial stage, is broken into two main areas: one that is all about innovation um, and technology and one that is about cultural exchange. Um, it's called the world showcase where you have areas surrounding a lake representing different nations around the world, sharing, uh, sharing food and drink and culture and, um, and a whole lot of credit card points of purchase. Uh, (laughs) True. Yeah. All of which I have swiped at. Yeah. Yeah. I have had a lot of alcohol and a lot of food at <laughs> the World Showcase. <laughs> and considered buying a chef's jacket at the Italian Pavilion. Oh, Jonathan 1 million percent bought that chef's jacket. Oh, that's right. He, he did buy it. Did. It was the hat that he did not buy. He, he bought the jacket and we went to dinner at the hibachi place in the Japan that's area. Right. And right. we were there to celebrate his birthday. And mm-hmm. for his birthday, he was gifted with a chef's toque at the hibachi restaurant. And then we spent the rest of that drunken evening wandering around the world showcase with him wearing shorts, <laughs> a chef's jacket, and a chef's toque, and asking people if they were enjoying the food they were eating, and claiming credit for having prepared said food. I married this man. And me following behind him saying, yes, chef, every 10 <laughs> seconds. Oh, my God. This way, chef. And I believe... And I believe there were more than one parties of guests who wanted to take a picture with this would-be chef. I can't believe you left out the part where we saw the actual chefs. And they laughed and, like, cheered. That was so funny. He pointed at them like he knew them. (laughs) Oh, God, it was so funny. The lady in the... um in the like Italy shop who like gave him a big hug and they nearly fell into the like the case. She collapsed into him. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 oh. oh Lord. So anyway, Epcot's for adults, huh? 
<laughs> Epcot's for adults, and 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 they they do have several attractions and rides that that can be appealing to children and thrill seekers. We've talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster. We've talked about Living with the Land. Um, people know Epcot iconically as the park that has the big golf ball. Mm-hmm. Um, that in there is a very old classic ride about the history of communication. Formerly narrated by Judy Dench, they have recently changed the narrator, and I cannot remember who now is providing said narration. Um, but for for the longest, it was Dame Judy Dench. But the reason that visitors like myself and my wife adore Epcot is because of the what's called the World Showcase, where you can take a str- a lively stroll around the world in heavy air quotes. Mm-hmm. enjoying margaritas from Mexico and uh, beers from Germany and England and maple popcorn from Canada and egg rolls from China. The Canada section is beautiful, by the way. It Poutine, is. baby. It is gorgeous to look at, and there ain't nothing to do. Agreed. <laughs> the, so something that I find interesting about, like, you talked about like Walt's vision for it, which was... This very strange, maybe Randian experience, um, but it has become something I think that we enjoy clearly, right? But I also think it's like becoming something that's like a little different than what it was in the past. Again, you talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy, right? I think that that's kind of a a part of a major shift. I don't know. I just think there's something there about like what it was meant to me, what it has been what it is now and what it's becoming that's interesting you know i i expect that there is still um quite a lot of interest and dedication among the imagineers to maintain the spirit of what Mm. epcot has always been um but there is also a very very clear philosophy among executives and creatives at disney and and this transcends different administrative uh, executive administrations mm-hmm. whether it's michael eisner or bob Iger, even all the way back to walton roy disney that that these parks specifically nothing is sacred nothing mm-hmm. is untouchable nothing is is immune to evolution and development um Disneyland opened in 1955. They had an area in that park called Tomorrowland, where the whole idea was the technology, the transportation, and communication of the future. As you well know, in four years, the idea of what the future of technology is can change rapidly. And what seemed like the horizon now seems like the distant, distant past. So four years after they opened Walt Disney World, excuse me, Disneyland, they had to completely... um, reimagine Tomorrowland and add new attractions because what they had dreamed of as the future was now obsolete and outdated. Um, this was an idea that Walt called plussing. Oh, and, interesting. I didn't know there was an And this, this uh, philosophy has permeated the Disney parks ever since. That uh, he, he, he said that as long as imagination exists, Disneyland will never be completed. It's the opposite of negging. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! That was delayed, but, but I had to say it. I was waiting. I didn't want to interrupt you right. No, it's not <laughs> um, 
th this philosophy specifically has never truly gone away. Um, there have been there have been periods of belt tightening. There have been periods of austerity. There have been periods where the parks have been run by merchandise executives and not creative executives. But the idea that these things can always be improved are is ever present. And the latest thing we're seeing at Epcot specifically is the emergence of using intellectual property. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Epcot used to be a park free of Disney film and television and merchandising IP. Um, you you could not find care you could not find characters from Disney films or D Disney television shows. You would not find an attraction that featured Mickey Mouse. You would find plenty of attractions. You would find things that had celebrities. You, you have Ellen and Bill Nye, but you would not find things that you recognized outside of Epcot. There was Epcot-specific intellectual property. Um, Disney fanatics will recognize a purple dragon named Figment, who was sort of the mm -hmm. unofficial mascot of Epcot. But this this has begun to change. Uh, and I'm not going to... I may have the history slightly wrong here. Okay. Um, but in the fairly recent past, the massive aquarium at Epcot got a rebranding to be called The Seas with Nemo and Friends. Um, so it's still a massive, wonderful, educational aquarium with some Finding Nemo flares. I loved that one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's truly wonderful um, because they have not lost any of the wonders. If, if, you, if you're just an aquarium head and you want to go see some, some jellyfish or some sea turtles or some sharks or some manatees, that's all there. Plus, you can go to a cute show where you can talk to Crush. Dude. You should never miss that if you ever go. It's it's a great I time. I honestly don't know if it's really popular on TikTok or if my For You page has just really latched on to the fact it's that I you. want it. Okay, it's me. Great. <laughs> uh, I, it's the For You page. I will Mitch. all sit through it because it is truly for me. It's not the only use of that technology at Disney World. They also use it in Magic Kingdom for a Monsters Incorporated themed comedy show. Hmm. Um. Which which I really enjoy, but the it seems to me that the performer the scare floor right laugh floor yeah. laugh floor yeah yeah okay. yeah, the, yeah you know the, the the conceit is at the end of Monsters Inc they figure out oh that, yeah that's right that they, laugh they provides laughter, more power than scream that's right so they've opened a comedy club yeah it, it's <laughs> it's it's adorable truly um, the performers are the, I find they're they're typically quicker and funnier with Crush um, but yeah it's great. So the aquarium is the first example I can think of, and I think it was probably among the earliest. But but in addition to that, they have just opened a Ratatouille-themed ride at the France Pavilion in Epcot, which I believe they premiered in France at the, at the Paris Park. Um, the Guardians of the Galaxy-themed roller coaster. They are currently under construction on a Moana-themed area that, as far as I can tell, is going to be a beautiful garden that features water in a very evocative way. These are, these are simply things that would not have existed in Epcot 15, 20 years ago. There's an incredibly popular Frozen-themed ride in the Norway Pavilion um, that's actually really cool. Um, so yeah, the, there was a really long line. I think when we were there, and it we is ended up going on it regularly. One of the longer lines you're going to have at Disney World. Um, it's like a like a lot of the longer line rides. I don't think it's worth what you typically have to wait for it, but it's pretty good. I've been on the Ratatouille ride in Paris. Um, it's fun. 
the restaurant is below average. Mm, interesting. But um, I mean, there, there's there's there are certainly rides at Epcot and IP at Epcot that I enjoy. And I believe that's where you and John met Baymax. Yeah, yeah, it is. But yeah. but the the for for my family, the true appeal of Epcot is the world showcase, the 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 food and drink, the shopping, and the general atmosphere. Whether whether this is actually realized, I'm not sure. But the general atmosphere of cultural exchange. There mm-hmm. is, and, and and this has been largely disrupted because of COVID, and I truly don't know what the state of it is right now, but at least before COVID, what you could get around the World Showcase at Epcot was that in each of the discrete pavilions, that's the name they get to the areas dedicated to each nation, the, the employees in each of those discrete pavilions would be nationals of the of the country rep- they're represented. If you went to the Morocco pavilion, all of the employees at the restaurants and shops would be um, visiting nationals from Morocco on a special visa cultural exchange program. There is a specific statutory um, device for this kind of cultural exchange that Disney had Congress pushed through. Um, it, and, sorry, just going to interrupt and say, like, go. we need very intense immigration reform in this company, in this country. And this fucking corporation just said, here's some money. Give us immigration reform for the things that we need. We we want the ability to bring in whoever we want. We want to bring in people from France to work at our wine counters in France because we want our American tourists to feel like they're getting an authentic French experience when they are in Kissimmee, Florida. That is one hundred percent. Meanwhile, happened. the the fastest way you can become a U.S. citizen is to marry someone, and that takes mm, five six years at the fastest. Matthew is the stat- ask me if I've been through is it the before. status <laughs> is the status podcast still available for streaming and download? You can still stream and download it. It just um, I'm not making it anymore, and I don't really ever want to touch it again. But yes, yeah, status podcast is a show that I made for two years. So <laughs> cut this out if you like. But if you would like more and wonderful insight on the status of relationships and immigration in this country, please check out the wonderful status podcast. That said, it does create a really, really inviting environment um, to to eat and drink and shop uh, and spend your money. <laughs> I, I fancy myself a very, very casual student of language. I don't speak any other languages fluently, but I really enjoy learning about language. And so I I get a I get a little uh, a, a little thrill after getting my beer handed to me and saying um, Danke Afidasen, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that that truly is the I believe what's what was in mind when this type of scheme was developed. Yeah, it was the it was early August twenty fourteen. Um, when I went to Epcot for the first time and, um, who's the, uh, the choral group in the American pavilion. What's their name? It's the voices of Liberty. That, that sounds correct. Uh, Mitch and I have done like choral stuff together for a long time or did in the past. We're not students of the, um, of the ocean organism of choral. We are, we are, uh, we have experience <laughs> in choirs. Yes, correct. We've been in choirs together and, the Voices of Liberty, despite that really off name, personally, are some of the most 
consistently incredible singers that I think I have ever heard in real life. Like I went, I think with my, our friend, Elisa, I believe, um, if not, it was our friend Elizabeth, who we've also mentioned on the show several, several <laughs> times, um, and heard them. And I just remember, like, we were sitting on the floor, and they were doing their thing, and this lady hit this one note. And while she's hitting this note that's absolutely insane, I'm also like, wait, this is a moment when everyone else can kind of relax. And no one was relaxed, and they were nailing it and looking like it was flawless. Like, wow. like just like, like it was the easiest thing in the world. And it like some of the best singing that I have like ever, ever experienced in real life. Um, anyway, that's just a random thing about Epcot that I love. The the despair that I feel when I walk into that building and I hear them singing and I can tell that they're at the very end of their set. <laughs> I, I it, They are truly, truly tremendous musicians that do wonderful work. I know a lot of them are in the same, um, we're going deep on like acapella and choral stuff at the moment, but um, I know a lot of them outside of work are in the same like local um, singing group. I'm, I don't want to misspeak, but I, I believe, um, yeah, I can't find it. So I'm not going to say it, but I, there is a, <laughs> there's a group I'm thinking of. It's, it's Vochus 8, I believe. Um, yeah, it looks to be it. I've heard yeah. of them. The group consists of several performers of the Voices of Liberty. Voctive, that's what it is, not Vocious 8. I, I would love to know more about the just the general culture of uh, professional performers, per, primarily singers and dancers living in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. They, they employ an army of artists. I, I don't know the details about the conditions of their, their employment and, and their, the quality of their compensation. I imagine it's rather exploitive. But they always are the utmost in professional and the utmost in quality. Mm-hmm. When, I was, uh, when I was 14, my high school choir went to Walt Disney World to perform as part of some festival. And I, I don't know anything about the festival itself. And it must have not been anything good because we were not a good high school choir. Uh, it must have been. It must have been. If you apply and pay your, you know, eight hundred dollars, you're in. But the highlight of that trip for me was that we got to go what what they call the Disney World backstage. Got to go places where the the park and resort guests don't get to go to one of their rehearsal spaces, um, mm. and and learn choreography and learn music from a full time Disney cast member who, at the beginning of our rehearsal session, sang. Uh, go the distance from Hercules. And I felt something in that moment. <laughs> uh, you felt God in this chilies. I felt God in that particular chilies. Uh, he was he was absolutely spectacular. And I I remember sort of pinching myself thinking at this very moment, I'm I'm rehearsing in a place where Disney World performers get to rehearse. And uh, I'm certain I didn't do them justice in that moment. Uh, but I do know that a lot of performers, at least in LA, I don't know much about Orlando, but it seemed to be the case while we were there, it, like are doing a lot of other gigs on top of, on top of Disney, but have a very regular Disney gig. Yeah. I, I, I would imagine that's, that's the case. I, I, I would imagine it's, it's, it's probably the exception for someone to have as many, as many roles at the Disney parks to be able to sustain not having any other gigs. Mm-hmm. 
um, you mentioned labor and I just wanted to like talk about it. So I've been, I've been like alluding to the fact that I went to Disneyland Paris in May, which was an awesome thing. And I think we didn't know, or we wouldn't have gone <laughs> was that, um, cast members in, at Disneyland Paris are currently, um, actively striking for better pay and better benefits. Um, and the day we were there, we happened to choose the other park to go to in the morning and completely missed the demonstration outside the front, um, of their magic kingdom. And, one of the groups specifically that is uh, demonstrating are um, the performers. Um, so if you, you know, are to find yourself at, at Disneyland Paris, you would notice that a lot of the parades get shut down, right? Because um, mm. performers are not there. A lot of the shows get canceled or delayed. Um, that is one country that is dealing with a lot of mistreatment of workers currently. Not that we don't deal with that here in the U S but um a lot of their, a lot of people in, in, in France are, you know, speaking up and demonstrating for the rights in that way. But I would imagine the company that is basically forcing these workers to stand up for themselves and to demonstrate is probably has some shit going on back home too, especially with all the power that they've seemed to swing around in, in uh, Florida against DeSantis and whatnot. It like wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if um, yeah. some of that went the other way. I also know that a bunch of our friends have worked in the parks, do work in the parks, have worked in other areas of Disney and like at least hope that <laughs> the people we know are being treated well or have the opportunity to stand up for themselves yeah. if they're not. The, you know? This is a company notorious for putting NDAs in front of their employees. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's, I'm certain a whole lot that we're just uh not able to get at least mm-hmm. for a, a, a given period of time mm-hmm. yeah would you like to change topics entirely go for it great perfect no segue just let's topic jump <laughs> i want to talk about the fucking star wars hotel oh there's a hotel oh oh, oh the immersive experience thing the like yeah yeah like yeah. the check-in you get your lightsaber Correct. stuff yeah i have so many feelings about this, but I want to hear it from you first. Great. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to bring up was this wonderful thing called the Star Wars colon Galactic Star Cruiser. That is the official brand name title for what is colloquially referred to as the Star Wars Hotel. Mm-hmm. It opened somewhere circa 2019 around the same time as Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened. Galaxy's Edge mm-hmm. is the place that you all have been to with me, the themed area inside of the Hollywood yeah, Star Wars Star Land. Wars Land. Thank you so much, <laughs> AC. The, the, the wizarding world of Star Wars. Um, the, the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is, is related to, but n- not part of this conversation. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is an immersive hotel experience that Walt Disney World developed basically in conjunction with opening of the Star Wars land that they had in both Orlando and in Anaheim. And it was a a two-night hotel experience that was intended to be entirely basically live-action role-playing immersive where you are... Um, role-playing as though you're taking a luxury cruise on a on an intergalactic cruise ship in the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. where all of the hotel's employees were in character at all times, and you're, you did not have a window to the Central Florida exterior in your room. You had a, a 
monitor supported window to outer space uh, next to your outside of your room. And your two night stay was populated by um, activities and missions within your hotel, but also excursions to the planet of Batu, aka Disney's Hollywood Studios Park and Star Wars Land. Mm-hmm. They announced they are going to close at the end of September of this year. This wow. is news day. I believe it opened in late 2020, by the way. Okay. I'm, so the reason I know this is because I was very hype on the idea of Galactic Star Cruiser. The concept of like an immersive hotel experience and an IP that I'm hype on sounds actually really cool to me. Yes. I know it sounds really nerdy to people. Yes. I don't care. That sounds really rad. The <laughs> fact that it was like three to $5,000 for two days. Oh, where'd you get that discount? How much was it? Uh, I'm, I'm hearing starting at four, really. What, oh. what they're advertising is around three, but in reality, you know, the, that, in in the words of my personal hero, Keenan Thompson, they sure do get you with them extras. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the motto of Disney World. Oh, though. yeah. And, I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so first, I want to be clear about what exactly you're getting for your money. Mm-hmm. They advertised it as a two-night, three-day experience. From what I can tell, the actual experience when you're in the resort or in the, the Star Cruiser will, we'll, in fact, I'll give them the credit of name checking the vessel when you're on board the Halcyon. Um, the performers and the theming and the activities and the food and everything was, as far as I can tell, absolutely top notch. And I have, I have, I have no reason to believe otherwise. I've watched several videos about it. It looks incredible. They should get Dolores to go there. You know, Dolores from HR. Have you guys seen these videos? Do you know what I'm no. talking about? She's this, uh, she's a cosplayer. She goes to Comic-Con. I've seen uh, this. I've as, seen this. Um, an HR representative um, with the Empire. And she goes around giving people tickets. I, it's I, so I funny. I have seen this. She, she has like a whole bit about anybody in a Mandalorian get up being like, I'm writing you up for bringing your child to work again. We've been over this. <laughs> you can't bring your kids to work. I, I've been delighted by this. Yes. Thank you for reminding me of that. Anyway, um, they, should, they should bring her to the Star Wars Hotel. <laughs> to make it more popular again. As, as far as I can tell, the experience itself is absolutely spectacular that Disney knocked it out of the park when it comes to the quality of the immersive experience. However, it was marketed as three days, two nights. Here's day one. Check-in starting at 1 p.m. Activities begin at 4 p.m. Mm. Day two, half your days at the park. Day three, check-out is at 11 a.m. Interesting. You spend a six, you spend a six, $6,000 on that? Mm-mm. No. Uh, let me tell you what else you could get for $6,000. An, in, an <laughs> entire week with park passes every single day at a Disney moderate or deluxe hotel. Oh, I was going to say a multi-city trip to Europe, that, but that, that's because that, that's that, what I'm pricing that, out right that, now. <laughs> that too. And there's, there's, of course, so many wonderful and necessary things you could buy for $6,000. Sure, sure. The, the conversations that my family has had is we only get to go to Disney World Every every couple of years, two to three years-ish, that is less frequently than we want to go. But when we can manage to have the time off and money saved up to go, what are we going to do? Spend five nights at a good hotel and go to all the parks? 
or spend two nights at one hotel and spend half a day at one park. Yeah. So my theory is that Disney finally found the thing that customers didn't want to pay for. Yeah. (laughs) Or, I mean, I think there's also something to be said for like, like if it opened in 2020, like people's bottom lines have just changed in the last several years. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that that sounds like something I would love to pay for. I just don't have $5,000 to pay for that. Right. Like, I think like the economics of it comes down to it because I think what it sounds like is like the hardcore fans who were able to afford it did get to do that. Right. And did have these great experiences. Right. But the the bottom line is that for the majority of this country, the last three years have radically shifted our paychecks and how we choose to spend our money and like where we see value in the things that we choose to do, the ways that we spend our time and what we like what we care about in terms of experience. And like, I think that there's an overall shift to like, like quant quantity of quality time. Right. If that makes sense. It's like, like it's, it's not about the, just the quantity either. Right. Like in what you're saying, Mitch of like the quantity of like the difference of five or six days at the parks. It is also about like, that is the choices between a two day family vacation and a six-day family vacation. And you would rather spend more time with your family getting to do things that make you feel like you are having fun, connected family time, right? And so I think that that's like also an an unignorable part of like why it sounds like to me like that just doesn't, the average American doesn't have that kind of cash right now. I strongly agree. And I, I think that for I, I don't know how this would have succeeded had the opening not relatively coincided with the onset of the pandemic. The Star Cruise is the best example of this, but I, I think there's a larger thing going on here, which is that right before COVID, Disney had a transition of who their CEO was. And uh, Bob Chapek, who had been the head of Disney Parks, took over from Bob Iger because the CEO has to be named Bob. <laughs> Listener, my dad is a CEO named Bob. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and You too could one day be a CEO named Bob. Mitch, you should <laughs> dream big. Oh, if anybody big. would hire me. But uh, the, the, the Bob Chapek time at, at the head of the Disney Corporation was um, was open to to much criticism and especially with Disney parks while trying to recover from COVID um, Mm -hmm. financially from COVID, I should say um, was marked by nickel and diming a lot of which I think is worthy criticism. And the company has since been handed back over to Bob Iger, who seems to be uh, reveling in his um, power while scrambling again to find a successor. And so a, a, a lot of things went poorly with the parks since 2020, as can entirely be expected. If you want yeah. more information on that, please go watch the Fast Past video essay that Matt cited in the video essays episode. Yeah. I think that the entire Fast Pass thing is emblematic of the financial um reaching about that Disney has done recently. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that in a second because I know that you've experienced a new system, but I just have two thoughts on Star Wars. One is to finish up. I've I've said many times, I've watched several videos of, of the Star Cruiser totally with you on price. The thing that it sounds like they did well and that it, it doesn't surprise me that they did well was the story, was the immersive nature of it. That 
is what I love so much about Galaxy's Edge, right? Getting to walk into a planet in the Star Wars universe and like Ray jumped in one of our pictures. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it's it's cheesy. There's an entire story. Right. There's a whole story. There, there's a two-day literal rotating story that starts in the morning one day yeah. and ends in a big show at like 6.30 p.m. the next yeah. night. Right. Um, and there's like a lead character of the park that you can meet and run into. And like the things, not necessarily on the rides, but like the experience around it kind of shift and change throughout that 48 hours. Um, there's whole like shows that happen, you know, every other day. I walked up on one of, you know, some. <laughs> some like empire folks like coming out of a out of a, a spaceship right and uh kylo ren being there and just seeing some incredible acting to imply uh force powers it is mitch is holding up a <laughs> a coca-cola bottle from galaxy's edge um and it is such an incredible time it doesn't surprise me that they that that is what they got right about that experience earlier we were talking about a little bit and this is the second thing i want to mention was that a lot of the parks generally have a sense of something incredible something that is really really gripping and enjoyable and also something that feels a little bit off so whether it's frontierland you know and and the stuff that we've talked about you know western expansion etc or in this case for me and for i think I've I've seen a lot of people recently as like people have started to realize like oh Disney's an option right I can go back is the shop in uh, Galaxy's Edge that like that sells um, space Nazi memorabilia basically yeah and I I have seen that get brought up by you know people that I don't think of as like you know people that think too deeply about it I think we've talked about Andor. we talked about this shop on the Andor episode but like at least my online friends right who really enjoyed Andor, who i was talking about Andor about or, you know or talking about Andor with when it came out um the ones that you know have since been to the parks and talked about it have like pointed out that shop as being like this feels like the thing that is wrong about this place yeah. like buying costumes with not quite swastikas i don't know feels weird and it feels like the kind of thing that i don't know they don't always get it wrong but it's like a common story um in disney parks where like there's something really incredible to enjoy and then like this little taste of something off yeah i think my favorite parks uh, parts of the parks when we were there was like the parts that felt like fully somewhere else right the parts that i struggled with the most were Frontierland or like things that like felt like too close to a very sanitized version of the reality that I was familiar with. And the most fun parts were the parts that transported me to somewhere else entirely, right? Like, absolutely. It was so fun in the area in Hollywood Studios where it's like the Muppet Studios, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I guess that's close to reality. But I also know that that's like not actually what like a Hollywood lot feels like in the same mm -hmm. way that they portray it and feels like you're on a movie set in a way that feels fantastical, right? Like, those are my favorites. And then also, right, obviously, I talked quite a bit in the indoor episode about how much that aspect of it draws me out of it. And so it was very interesting. So I think I don't want to like elaborate on that because certainly you can go back and listen to our indoor episode to hear all of my feelings and Matt's feelings. I do also, Mitch, want to hear more about this new fast pass, whatever it is they're calling it now. And then I don't think we can make it out of this episode. We have to talk about Splash Mountain. So as a way of offering 
an option for guests to guests who are um, planning ahead to skip, not skip, but experience shorter wait times for popular attractions. Disney has gone through all kinds of iterations of what we will call a fast pass system. Once again, for more information, see Defunct Land. I've seen a few different different iterations of this system personally. Uh, the one that is in existence now is wildly confusing and unwieldy. <laughs> um, and to my ultimate disappointment, more costly financially. Mm-hmm. For years, when I tried to proselytize for Disney World being the ultimate family vacation destination, I often shilled for the idea that all of these extra features were not free, but were built into the cost that you pay on the front end and have time to save up for and can plan for Mm -hmm. that can improve your vacation experience without thinking of added cost after you get to your vacation, including Disney's array of complimentary transportation options, including the ability to pay for the bulk of your food beforehand Mm -hmm. and the ability to, if you're staying at a Disney world resort, which are expensive, but wonderful, the, the, the option to make what they call fast pass selections ahead of time, where you can choose some weeks in advance a small selection of rides that you want to wait in shorter lines for, where you pick a return time throughout the day, an hour-long window, or if you show up to that attraction during that window, your line is significantly shorter. We're talking the difference between an hour and 10 minutes. Um, That used to be a complimentary feature for all Disney park guests and you had earlier access to it if you were staying at a resort. Mm -hmm. Earlier, AC and I were talking about how the pandemic has resulted in some unpopular changes, specifically in the terms of requiring more guest spending, and this is a really good example of that. Um, Sometime last calendar year, sometime in 2022, they introduced a new system where the, uh, the, the very word fast pass was extinct, and what used to be called the fast pass line, aka the shorter line, was now called the lightning lane. Cool, it's a rebrand. We love a rebrand. Disney loves a rebrand. Um, but the trick was what had to be done to get gain access to the lightning lane. Um, for most individuals, that meant paying uh, on a daily basis for a product called Genie Plus. Um, Disney really gets in the weeds of its own branding here. Um, (laughs) Let me tell you, someone who really has a pretty good grasp on these things, it had me for a little while. As someone who's currently wearing a Mickey Mouse ears hat with a little tail coming (laughs) up between the ears. I'm wearing Mickey ears the moment they were purchased on Thanksgiving Day at Disney's Animal Kingdom 2022. (laughs) Genie Plus was a daily purchased product that you could buy starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on the day you intended to use it that gave you the ability to to access reservations for lightning lanes throughout the day. 
What does that mean? Oh, Access reservations. <laughs> so you log on at seven in the morning. So you so so anytime before seven a.m. Oh. Anytime between midnight and seven a.m. You could get on your My Disney Experience app, their all-inclusive app, app, which, by the way, has gotten pretty fucking good as far as all the things it offers and how functional it is. Mm -hmm. You could log on to your app and you could purchase for you and, if you wish, your entire vacationing party on an individual basis, on an all-a-carte per-person purchase basis, the service of Genie Plus for that upcoming park day. For how many U.S. dollars? Oh, that varied. Um, oh, based on like traffic and whatnot? Based on how popular your park was, based on how many attractions that park had, based on how many people they expected the park uh, expected were expected to be at the park that particular day. The uh, advertising and blogs said, oh, between 12 to $15 per day. In my experience, it was about 25 to $30 per person. But if you purchased Genie Plus, starting at 7 a.m., you could, on your app, look at the different attractions available, whatever park you plan to visit that day, and you could begin to make Lightning Lane reservations for whichever members of your party you preferred. But you could only make one Lightning Lane reservation at a time. This Lightning Lane reservation gave you the ability to arrive at that lo- at that attraction within a window of one hour throughout somewhere throughout your day could be any point throughout the day and during that window you would have access to the lightning lane line just as if you had a fast pass in the previous system but you could only make an additional lightning lane reservation if and when you your you redeemed your existing lightning lane reservation or 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 Whoa. until, or, or by the, by the time that two hours had passed since you made the first reservation. Oh my god! Do your heads hurt yet? Is it gonna get more complicated? Uh huh. Uh huh. The thing I thought you were gonna say was I couldn't make the second one until like the window had gone up, but the fact that it's until it's two hours since you booked—that is impossible to remember. I didn't get a grasp on the two-hour thing until most of the way through our most recent Disney trip where I felt like I had failed my entire party, which was a, a substantial party. So I have to stay up after midnight on every day of this vacation? The ability to purchase your your Genie Plus for the following day begins at midnight. Basically, as soon as that calendar date begins, you can purchase the uh-huh. service. Uh-huh. But you've got that seven hours between the ability to purchase and 7 a.m. Okay. Um, okay. At 7 a.m., at that point, you may begin reserving your selections, but only one at a time. Okay. So I just have to wake up. I have to wake up before 7. Correct. To purchase my Genie Plus for the day and then manage all of the rides. And if you're not a morning person, I'm so sorry. You're not riding anything in less than 30 minutes. Yeah, I am not a morning person. This sounds like it blows. <laughs> I feel like you guys worked and were so nice to me our whole trip. I also am not a morning person. And you guys were so nice to help me wake up early. And I would be terrible yes, at this. And I'm so grateful that this was not an obstacle that we had during our last trip. Um, because honestly, for my wife and I, who are really, really dedicated Disney park goers, 
the 7 a.m. thing is not an inconvenience. I am usually awake at or before 6 a.m. on any day I intend to go to the park because we are usually there at or near the time the park is opening. And I like to have time yeah. to have coffee and stretch and, and, and not be rushed in the morning. Um, but that is me. That is our style. And there's a whole fucking lot of people going on vacation at Walt Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it sounds like a full-time job at this point. <laughs> may I complicate it? No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> I knew you were going to say this, and I am already upset. But please, so the indiv- so so the the G- the attractions that are available to be reserved in the Lightning Lane for uh, when you buy the Genie Plus does not include oh my God, every attraction at that park. In addition to... Why? Well, because money. No. At all four of the theme parks, and I assume, I shouldn't assume, possibly at both of the water parks. I've never been to other of the water parks there at Disney World, so I don't, don't really know how they, how they operate. So let's keep it at the theme parks. At all four of the theme parks, the one or two most in-demand attractions are not available on the genie plus service so there's just you pay no so let's take this out of hypothetical and let's use a real life example the most popular attraction at disney's animal kingdom is an avatar ride called flight of passage i think we wrote it it rules it it truly rules it's a one it's a wonderful ride it's a flight simulator that is really really great um, it is it, it is consistently the longest line at Walt Disney World. Fascinating. If you if if you find a line there under two hours, good for you. I had no yeah, idea. Yeah. Wow. Well, we have good for James and, Cameron. And, and and when we went, we had Fast Pass for under the new, under the old system. So our line our yeah. wait was I don't know twenty minutes. That ride would not be available under the Genie Plus system. You would not have any ability to get a lightning lane reservation if you bought Genie Plus. It is included in the category of what we call individual lightning lane selections, a.k.a. these are individual. You may purchase a lightning lane reservation for them a la carte if you choose. Also Uh, priced by demand? Yes, but um, it is not at the same price point as the Genie Plus. Um, Here we're talking sort of $8 to $15, Um, you may ride it free of charge, but if you want to Mm -hmm. not waste half your day riding it, shell out $15. Yikes. And get, and, 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 and that's not an exchange for getting in the line immediately. That's an exchange for being given a time at which you can show up to the ride and wait in a shorter line. And to be clear, (laughs) the, the fast pass that I have enjoyed the most is the one where you walk up to a machine nearby the ride itself, get a ticket and come back on the time it tells you. And that is free. And yeah. that's at Disneyland. And, uh, that's in California. and, 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 and that isn't that, that is an, uh, an erstwhile system at Walt Disney world as well. When I was first introduced to fast pass, when I was in between the ages of like 10 to 16 years old, that's what they did. I first, I first mm-hmm. experienced a digital fast pass system when I was in my mid twenties, when you can make your fast pass selections digitally, weeks before your trip and you had your times already scheduled when you could go to those attractions at a given time. And that's what we did. Yeah. I liked that fine, but that, that places a high premium on, on existing knowledge. 
and mm-hmm. an ability to plan your trip in detail ahead of time. Yeah, this has now really slid into place uh, context for a video that I saw that I didn't really understand where someone as like a punishment for losing a fantasy football tournament had to let Genie Plus decide their rides for the day. And um, I didn't understand why it was a punishment. And now suddenly I do. <laughs> yeah, they, they have an AI powered like itinerary yeah. suggestion machine that is just awful. It's just bad. Yeah. Uh, that's probably what. They're yeah. Well, because they have to pretend that everything is equally good. Right. Yeah, and and they have to pretend that that they can just throw up a a suggested itinerary, and it will make perfect sense given your mobility around the park and parade schedules mm-hmm. and food schedules and nap schedules for your children. And uh, yeah, no, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any terrible. Sense. Uh, at, out of necessity, my wife and I have found a made a found a way to make it work. I'll say as being basically the heads of a of a family trip of 11 individuals last November most of which were disney casuals to novices it was a nightmare mm-hmm. terrible all right speaking of terrible things terrible but wonderful i don't know <laughs> let's talk splash mountain splash mountain baby i don't even know where to start um, maybe the good place to start is like one of the best pictures of all of us on a ride together is from Splash Mountain um, from you this mean trip. The only good ride photo we got, <laughs> where we're all in the same picture. Yeah, this this is tangential and can absolutely be cut out. But that trip, I had an unlucky habit of my face being covered in every single ride photo. <laughs> it was like a running it, joke. It, it, it was it was like it trip. was like in How I Met Your Mother how Marshall's eyes are always closed. Yeah. It was it was kind of like that. And Splash Mountain was one of the few good ones we got. Yeah, it's and it's a it's a very it's it's a great photo of all of us. You also got soaked, didn't you? Oh yeah, there's a really great photo. We'll include it in our notes. Yeah. Um, you know, the Splash Mountain warning is like you may get wet. <laughs> And I came off of the ride. I was in a spot on the like car where just like because of how the weight was distributed in the car or wherever it was that I was seated, I got more water in the face than anyone else. (laughs) I literally was drenched. I literally there was no not a single wet hair on my head. (laughs) I was behind you and I was barely wet, like directly. I'd like to tell you what's unpredictable. Um, but one of my toxic traits is always making sure I'm in the dry spot on that level. <laughs> yeah, no, I was truly set up for this, um, in a delightful way. And I like, I think I had an inkling that that's what was happening and I it was still his fun. head, his head um, nods. I was a good, <laughs> yes, I was a good sport about it. I will say there's a very funny picture of me thumbs upping with my glasses covered in water. You may get wet. Um, yeah. So I think like, okay, as someone who going to this Disney World trip, I'll, I'll get us started on this Splash Mountain conversation. As someone who going into this trip, like didn't really, I didn't know that this existed in this way, right? Like, I don't think that I really had a lot of context for Splash Mountain in terms of I knew that it existed. I think I didn't realize the extent of it. And I didn't realize like how much it would make me open my eyes wide in like general surprise that this was still a ride in 2019 
that they had not decided to retrofit yet. Um, you know, and I think we were there at the point that they had announced that they were going to be mm-hmm. retrofitting it. But had they announced what the new theme would be? No, probably not. Okay. I, I believed at the time it was my last time riding Splash Mountain as it was. I remember that you was saying not the that. Case. I ended, it, it was it, it closed down as, as in the form that we knew it uh, January of this year. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think the other thing that we were really struck by, obviously, there are the the, the themes of coded racism mm-hmm. that are, are very coded is maybe a strong word there. Um, the ride is really, um, it's really gay. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, not only is it racist, it's also homoerotic. Very. I so badly want, want you to talk about this, but I, I, I want to interject quickly beforehand and tell you that I didn't catch any of this until I wrote it with y'all. Proceed. We're so sorry for ruining your favorite ride, maybe. I know that it was a cherished one for you. Um, There's many moments where people have, like, limbs tied and butts exposed, and... Mm -hmm. um, I'm specifically thinking, it's a bear and a rabbit, right? So, Mm -hmm. so, so, Br'er... Um, rabbit is your hero of the story, and this is heavy air quotes Oof. on. He's your he's your he's your <laughs> protagonist. Let, let, he's the um, protagonist. My, my, That's my, right. my AP lit teacher would be proud. He's your protagonist, and he and he just wants to have a good time and go to his quote laughing place. And he is being hunted by the villain Brer Fox and his dim witted sidekick Brer Bear. There's your basic structure, right? Yeah. So Brer Fox and Bear so- are always trying to catch Brer Rabbit. Right, and there is a scene where Br'er Bear is tied up in, like, vines with his ass showing, right? And it is, it is just, it is, like, lightly (laughs) coded gay bondage porn. (laughs) Once again, coded feels, like, too strong. There's one scene where Br'er Bear is, like, caught in the briar patch, and his his butt is, like, hanging out, and, like, Br'er Fox is, like, trying to yes push his butt like Mm -hmm. inward but there's Mm -hmm. there's another scene earlier in the ride where brer bear has been caught like a rope snare where his arms or his arms and legs are like caught up and he's like he's like trussed up like a like a thanksgiving turkey and his butt is just like hanging like swaying freely towards the ground as though on some sort of swing kind of rick yep mitch cover your ears He's trussed up like a twink on on Pride Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not just like the lightly coded racism. It's also like a ride based on Song of the South and like Zippity Doodah right. is from that movie, which I did yeah. not understand until I went to Disney for the first time. I did not know that Zippity Doodah was for a very long time, basically throughout my childhood, sort of an unofficial theme song of Walt yeah. Disney World. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I've I've known that song my whole life before I ever knew anything about the film. Right. Yeah. I feel like there was a short of of Zippity Doodah from something that I saw as a kid. Um that was like a, a Disney short of some kind. And not as short in the way that in the sense that Pixar uses it, but you know, either a clip on a video, you know, or like, no. you know, something like um, an Adventures of Winnie the Pooh tape that had an intro or something, you know. The scene from Song of the South in which that song appears is, is as far as all the, the things in that film that are, that are gross, that particular scene 
can it can exist separately if you knew nothing else yeah mm-hmm. you knew nothing else about that project and that film it's 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 a rural black gentleman singing to a bluebird um yeah. it's it, so so that that could exist as a short by itself yeah th- right? and that's what i have seen that is what i totally. remember totally yeah and i think it's so interesting i mean the the entire thing about Splash Mountain is so emblematic of like, I think that it's so interesting that one of the themes that you've drawn out, Mitch, is that like the Disney machine is always open for plussing or for change. Right. But I will say that there is something like interesting and insidious about a a corporation that really only responds to. It, it feels like they're, as much as they are willing to make changes and adjustments, they are not willing to make changes and adjustments that are truly, like, progressive before, like, before the culture is moving in that direction. I mean, mm-hmm. think of the think of the Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump mask situation, right? The assumption was that Hillary Clinton would be the winner, right? And they moved in that direction and they moved wrong and it presumably cost them a lot of money, right? So I understand why the machinations of of corporate America and, and capitalism as a whole, like, aren't interested in doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. But it's very, very interesting to me because I think it just always strikes me because, like, there is a large base of fans and of people who would be interested in that being different, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is money to be made that they leave on the table on a regular basis by exploiting their workers and by behaving in ways that are not socially responsible. Not that corporate social responsibility will, you know, free us all from capitalism, but like it's not nothing, right? (laughs) In the grand scheme of things. But I I just, I, I can't stop thinking about the contrast between the theme of like Disney is always willing to change and adjust and be a little bit different and the persistence of a ride like Splash Mountain. And I think specifically the things they choose to to do first, right? Specifically, we talked a lot about Epcot and, um, you know, the, the ways that Epcot has changed and is changing and is moving towards IP, right? And that seems to be out of um, some perceived necessity, you know, that is about the ways that Disney drives culture and and the way, and that being sort of the machine Mm -hmm. with which they make money versus, you know, things, you know, things like Splash Mountain where like, it's been years of people complaining about this. And then, and you know, it, this is the thing that happens sort of like after those Epcot plans are announced. Yeah. I don't know. The thing that happened first before Disney and years before Disney bothered to enact plans to uh, remove this IP from the park was that Disney released another piece of valuable intellectual property that celebrated the culture and music of the American South. Um, That was Mm -hmm. until princess and the fog was frog was released in 2009. Song of the South was really the only thing they had other than the rescuers down under that, that was, (laughs) Oh no. uh Uh, That was any sort of recognition (laughs) or celebration of the American South. And then the princess and the frog is a, is a much more, much more respectful and and um, holistic take on at least one region of the American South. And so, you know, while I appreciate that Disney's made this change, 
they didn't do it until they had IP on the table. It was incredibly popular. They had a, literally another Disney princess to put in its place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when you go to Disney Plus and you watch, uh, when you watch on the Imagineering story, which I think is a terrific documentary series, while it is, it, it's incredible. It, while it is absolutely Disney propaganda, it's really, really well done. I brushed up on it for mm-hmm. research for for this chat we're having. When they t- when they talk about Splash Mountain, they uh, narration by Angela Bassett only addresses Song of the South by saying a problematic film called Song of the South. Oof. Um, and when you, and when you queue up a movie like Aladdin, there will be a, there'll be a disclaimer screen before the film starts. that says that this film, this film contains portrayals of, of cultures that is not flattering and is not, mm-hmm. uh, is not the celebration of their diversity. I don't know what exactly what the language is, but they, they include these disclaimers, which are all proper and I'm grateful that they exist, but they only exist after the profit center is created yeah Mm -hmm. it feels like less than the bare minimum after the fact in like a way that is just not not the way that i wish the world was and and this this is our champion in the state of florida by the way yeah (laughs) no don't say that please ouch my feelings Mitch, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that uh, you had talked about in, in regards to Disney World or, or wanted to, I don't know, say in response to our conversation? I want to say that I, I have a lot of criticisms for Walt Disney World and the Disney Corporation. I also unabashedly and unashamedly adore Walt Disney World. And I'm going there the right the plan right now is twice within the next year and a half. So uh, this, I, 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 I want to be transparent about that, that I fully intend to spend my money and time there. And it is, it is the source of a great deal of joy for my family. Yeah. I, I, I could spend just as much time talking about the stuff that I adore without caveat as the stuff that I think is worthy of really, <laughs> uh, as the stuff I think is worthy of really, really nuanced discussion. I was going to say, I think it's worth saying that, like, I also, without caveat, had a delightful time, like, on our trip. And I know that so much of that is, like, because of, like, the friendship that we share and, like, you know, the magic that was made, if you will, right? But, like, that that we got to, there are parts of me that really saw and acknowledged how special and magical it would have been for me, like, if my family had been able to afford traveling to Disney World as a small kid. And I certainly got to experience some of that like magic and wonder and nostalgia as an adult, even when, you know, the, (laughs) the things that were, that are hardest for me were less, you know, I was able to put them out of my mind. And Mm -hmm. so I think that like, I think about like getting to meet like the stitch character and like getting to meet sorcerer Mickey, right? Like, these characters that played pivotal parts of my childhood and that like that warm fuzzy place in my heart, I still have for them. Right. was very like dear to me and I'm glad that I got to do it. Mitch, what's one of the things that you love at Disney world without caveats? Is it the Winnie the Pooh ride? No, it's not. Um, It is the Epcot food and wine festival. Hell yeah. Um, I, 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 that's some good I, shit. Right I adore there. Epcot and, and we're getting to the point where they've got a festival going on more days than they don't, but at roughly every fall, they have a whole lot of food and alcohol from around the world. 
And the more you buy, the more checks you get to make in your passport booklet. And for a foodie, borderline alcoholic, and completist, it is wonderful. <laughs> it is a great time. Also, the shopping in the Japanese area. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the Japan shops are unmatched. Parts. Unmatched. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favorite parts, yeah, just of the yeah. park. As as a as a much more sincere answer, I and my wife and I absolutely adore actually and hypothetically planning a Disney trip. Mm. The Disney has made the process of preparing for your trip incredibly fun of picking your resort. If you, if you can manage to stay at one of the resorts, picking where you're going to eat, picking which parks you're going to go to talking about how you're going to spend your days. My wife and I will, will, will throw out hypothetical prompts of how we would address a certain scenario in planning our Disney trip. And we will, we will do road trips, just exchanging those kind of conversations. When, when the five of us were planning our trip, I just for the hell of it, put together a PDF walking y'all through step-by-step how to get your package booked (laughs) on the Disney website, just because I wanted to. It was great. Yeah. You're describing you're describing the fun of like deck building in playing magic, right? <laughs> like, you, like this is the equivalent. Yeah. It's also the equivalent of um, building and running a character in a TTRPG game, which is what I do. So yeah. <laughs> well then this is, this is my D D and D. Yeah. The, one of the D stands oh, for Disney. Right. Your diners driving. <laughs> <and dives. laughs> and we are rolling out. Uh, oh, yeah, I, 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 I truly love that exercise. Uh, and we'll do it even when we don't have a Disney trip upcoming. Well, this has been Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives <laughs> with Matt, AC, and, and Mitch. I think that brand is also taken. I don't know if they're Damn, as litigious. I, I, I can't imagine he's gotten where he's gotten without having at least a little bit of little bit of litigation in his body. Hey, um, mm. that, I think it's going to be the episode because I need to go That's eat dinner. It. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, do you want to be found online or would you like to be left alone? I'd be happy to be found online to the extent that Twitter still exists when this thing is released. You can find me at Mitch McGrew, M-C-G-R-E-W. I post awful things there. Uh, You can find me at the same handle on Instagram. Sweet. AC, where can people find you on the internet this time? This time you can find me still on Twitter somehow, <laughs> twitter.com slash acfachi. You can also find me on Blue Sky, acfachi.bluesky.app or .bsky.app. I'll get that URL right one of yeah. these days. If you search acfachi and you're on, you're on Blue Sky, you'll find them right there. I'm also on Blue Sky. Oh, yeah. Welcome oh, to Blue Sky, Mitch. Blue Sky. Thank you. Everything's <laughs> awful. Uh, you can find me at matthorton.live. It has all the things there. I don't think that's my Blue Sky. should probably put that on there. Share the show with your friends. There's a very simple URL. It's can'tletitgo.gay. The way that podcasts grow is by sharing with people. Um, you might hear other people ask you to review things. That's great. We'd love a review. But the the way that you know the show gets out there is by you telling your friends and your family. I want to thank scout wilkinson for our art you can uh pay her at ko-fi.com slash humble goat um whenever she has commissions open to make some art for you uh, and i want to thank my friend ethan at pragmatism on twitter i do not have an updated link for him in case he has moved somewhere else uh for making our music and a big thanks to mitch for yeah. being our first guest um and uh being a part of this wonderful chaos that we're building here at can't let it go uh, dot gay. Yeah. Thank you all so much for having me. Uh, you know, I, I love the two of you so dearly and I'm 
excited to talk to you on recording or not, especially about things that uh, an average person has no business knowing so much about. But uh, <laughs> if, if, if that is not the spirit of can't let it go, I don't know what is. I, I think that is appropriate and I will probably use it again. <laughs> uh, I think that's it. And we will talk to you all next time. Talk to you next time. There's a great, big, big, beautiful beautiful tomorrow. tomorrow. (laughs) Oh...